Hey friends, it's Chris Lowen here again with another episode from Outside the Wall podcast. This is a podcast where we have a variety of conversations with people with important, unique, or different perspectives than what many of us would normally encounter in everyday life. In today's episode, we have a friend of ours on the show named Dr. Sargard. He holds a PhD in biochemistry and is the author of the award-winning book, The Works of His Hand, A Scientist's Journey from Atheism to Faith. In the introduction to his book on his website, it says this, Raised in a militant and atheist family, Sigurd became a respected research biochemist with an atheistic worldview, and he had no intention of seeking a god he didn't believe in. That is, until the very science he loved led him to question the validity of an atheistic worldview. These questions led him to wonder about the true nature of the world, and eventually the Holy Spirit guided him towards a belief in God and in Jesus Christ as his Redeemer. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Sigurd. Okay, so Sai, you mentioned earlier um, about uh, atheism. So is it true that you were once an atheist? Oh, I, I grew up in, in a very strict atheist household. I was a complete atheist. I would say that my parents' view of the world actually makes Richard Dawkins look somewhat religious. Oh. <laughs> uh, they, uh, the, what I grew up, the philosophy I grew up with was that God is not only untrue but impossible and evil the concept of theology of theism is is an evil thing it's been a oppressive force against humanity it's done nothing but bad there are people nowadays who you hear that from as well but uh, it wasn't just we don't believe in god you know it was no god is terrible awful no so that was where i started from <laughs> And it went along with a very materialistic worldview, which is that everything that we need to know, everything worth worth knowing about, uh, we get from science. There's no other way to understand any kind of truth. Nothing else means anything. It doesn't matter. So that's where I started. And I, I had that view through my uh, ooh, 30s, at least, maybe early 30s. I started at some point, though, uh, what I, I like to refer to as a wall of, of, you know, belief, which I held. And at some point there were cracks in that wall that, that were brought actually by my study of science. Hmm. Uh, starting with physical chemistry, because, you know, when you do chemistry, you have to deal with the effects of quantum theory. And for undergraduate students, all they do is they just do calculations and come up with numbers and answers. But as I, after I got out of school, I started reading some books about quantum theory because it seemed kind of mysterious. And uh, it is mysterious, it turns out. It doesn't make any sense at all. And it certainly doesn't make sense from a materialist viewpoint. And of course, as you know, that's in my, I talk about that in the book. And, and, and it started raising questions in my mind, which was, well, wait a minute, if, you know, if, if you can't tell, if it's impossible to know the momentum and the position of an electron at the same time, and, and that's not just because we don't have enough answers, it, that's a known fact that we can't do that determination. What does that mean? Why? Why, why can't we? And if it turns out that that you can't tell exactly where an electron is. It's in a probability space, okay? It may be here, it may be there. You just don't know until you observe it. 
and then it all then you then it becomes in a particular place. That doesn't make any sense. When you look at something, it becomes real. That sounds like supernatural stuff, right? Mm. But that's hardcore solid physics. Nobody disputes it. And when I learned that, I said, well, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like the materialism I was brought up to believe in. That sounds a little, you know, a little supernatural almost. So that raised a lot of questions in my mind. You know, what, what's going on here? And then, of course, when I started learning about biochemistry and some of the details, which is very, you know, it's very difficult. It's, it's not accessible unless you're actually in a graduate biochemistry class. Um but when you learn that stuff, your reaction is, what? How, how, hmm. is, how is this possible? How, how are living cells able to do all this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the answer was obviously evolution, right? That's the answer we know. Evolution does everything. But there are problems with that view. I don't, not that I don't believe in evolution. I think evolution is true. But it can't explain the origin of these things because you need these things like self-replication and a genetic code and energy you need all of that to have evolution happen so you can't get them by evolution because evolution isn't possible until they're there so that was very disturbing (laughs) and Mm -hmm. what all of this led to and and as in the book i talk about other things like fractals and chaos theory and a lot of things in hardcore science real science that made me wonder about this pure materialistic worldview and uh it it started to crack it did not bring me to god it did not bring me to faith but it it kind of tore down the wall a little bit Hmm. just enough for me to be able to absorb other things that were coming into my life so did that did that affect you know uh, your consideration of other religions at that point in your in your life, yeah, I and I'd love to hear too. So through science, your 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 strong confidence in atheism was being shaken. Yes, but then what was the thing that then got you then looking for actually looking for right. God for faith? That took a lot of time. I had no. I, I was an agnostic. I I, I decided I not really sure about atheist. I still didn't believe in God. So I guess I was still an atheist, but I wasn't that confident. Is that in answer to your question, a series of things happened to me that I wasn't expecting. I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't looking for other religions, although I did actually start reading about some religions, just Judaism, uh, Buddhism, I was interested in some of the Eastern religions that was going around in my generation. So it was something popular, mm-hmm. some new age stuff. Uh, I, I stayed away from Christianity and Islam because I just, you know, I just thought they were terrible. Uh, but uh, what eventually happened was I had some dreams and I, I those are in the book. And I've also discussed two of them in this in a video interview that I made last year with Cameron Bertuzzi at Capturing Christianity. And I could go into them again here if you want, but, uh, you know, that uh, I've discussed them several times. And, and, and then, um, 
And then I started meeting Christians. And one of them at some point asked me if I wanted to go to a church. It was a Catholic church. And uh, I said, yes, but I was very nervous about it. Uh, but I went and I found a very different atmosphere than I was expecting. <laughs> <laughs> And I even at some point decided I should maybe look into this book that I had I had heard about, but I thought was you know full of evil. <laughs> and um, I I started speaking of the Bible. Out. I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm talking about the Bible. Um, I didn't read the Old Testament. Uh, I I read at that point. I started with the, the book of Matthew, mm -hmm. and then I went straight to Acts, and I said to myself, you know, this is not what I was told <laughs> by my parents. Uh, it doesn't, the book of Acts doesn't read like it was made up. It doesn't sound like it was something that, you know, some conspirators who wanted to start a new religion, which is what I'd been taught, you know, uh, maybe Paul, maybe somebody invented this whole thing out of whole cloth. That's not, you don't get that when you read the book of Acts in, in an honest way. What you get when you read it is this happened. These are real people. They were really there. Maybe they were imagining the resurrection. Maybe they were not, you know, seeing anything real, but they, they were certainly real people. And it, it, it just doesn't read like fake, you know, to me. And the book of Matthew, uh, I found fascinating. I mean, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody ever told me about that. I didn't know that Jesus had said all these things. Some of he sounds like a communist half the time, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's worried about poor people. He's worried about you know the you know the oppressed and the widows and orphans and the, the refugees and all that. So I was very confused, and at the same time, you know, I had been very involved in the civil rights movement as a, when I was a young radical. And, you know, all the leaders of the civil rights movement were pastors. <laughs> all of them. I, oh, one exception. Yeah, one, one guy wasn't. Uh, and he was, he was a member of the Communist Party. <laughs> but, you know, Martin Luther King, Jesse Jackson, Ralph Abernathy, they were all pastors. And, and this didn't make sense to me. If, if Christianity is so terrible, and why is it that these brilliant, progressive, right, liberal people are Christians. You know, Martin Luther King was as Christian as you can get. I mean, he, he mm -hmm. spoke much more about Christ than he did about anything else. And, you know, I, I was confused. I didn't get it. I, something was wrong. And, and the dreams, which were personal and very, very powerful to me, and I didn't understand them, were, I just put them aside. I said, I, I don't know what this means. Uh, but the second one was so clear to me, especially after I read the Gospels, that I had the sense that something else was going on. What, what was that second dream? The second dream was that I was walking around a walled garden and I couldn't get in. I knew there was a garden inside. Hmm. but the walls were very steep, very tall. 
and there was no way to climb over. And I kept walking around and walking around and I couldn't find any way to get over it. And I was getting very upset and frustrated. And at some point I, I saw a man standing at, standing in, in, in the path. And, and he said, what, what's the problem? Why are you upset? And I said, I'm trying to get in. I can't get, I can't get over the walls. And he said, go in through the door. It's right there. And I did. I walked over, I opened the door and I walked in and, um, and I was in the garden. And when I woke up from that dream, time had gone by and I had already been to the church once I had started reading some of the gospels. I hadn't, I hadn't seen the passage that says knock, you know, or I am the gate, I am the door, you know, all, all the things that that dream was referring to that was new. And I, and at that point I said, maybe Jesus is real. Wow. But I could not, I could not take the final step. I, I was willing to go to church a couple of times, listen to the preachers at that point, mostly priests, because it was mostly a Catholic church. And I heard them talking about love and I heard them talking about, you know, Christ standing beside us and the wonderful sermons and nothing about, you know, you're going to go to hell if you sin. All the stuff that I'd been taught, you know, was the Christian message. And, but other than that, I, I, I couldn't see myself going all the way. I, I just couldn't do it. The, the, the wall, the prison I was in was still, the walls were still there. And then I had an experience, which I did not have a chance to discuss in the interview I did with Cameron, but it's in the book. <clears throat> and that was the experience I had while I was awake, it wasn't a dream. And I was driving uh, a long distance from New York to Pittsburgh, uh, and I was in central, central Pennsylvania, which is a very Christian area. And I turned on the radio and I heard a preacher uh, who was doing a great job, as many radio preachers do. I wasn't really listening to what he was saying, but I, I heard the cadence of his voice. I heard, you know, the beauty of the way he put the sermon together, and I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, gee, you know, I, I like to talk. What, what would it be like if I gave a sermon? <laughs> so I turned off the radio and I started preaching a sermon to myself. I didn't know what I was going to talk about. I, I think in my mind, uh, it would have, it was probably going to be something like, um, you know, about the scientific problems with origin of life or whatever it was I was thinking about. But something else came out. And it was totally unexpected. And I knew as I was speaking these words in my mind that it wasn't coming from me. And what I basically said was, well, I, I, could, I could picture myself speaking in front of a crowd outside for whatever reason. And I had the feeling it was in a, in a Christian area like the South or perhaps, you know, your area and where you guys are. But it was not an area that, for example, I grew up in, in New York City. It was an area of Christians. And I was talking to them and I said, you probably wonder what I'm doing here. I mean, I don't belong here. I'm a, you know, 
scientist atheist from New York. <laughs> and here I am <laughs> preaching to you and, and why? And then I said, I have a message for you. God, I know that God loves you because I know that he loves even me. Wow. That's just beautiful. If he loves even me, how who could he not love? And yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sai, for sharing for well, sharing I, that I just, story. I should say that I stopped the car and uh, I started crying and um, mm. I uh, I said out loud I believe. And from then mm. that moment on I I've been a Christian. Wow. That is a that's a powerful testimony. Thanks for thank sharing you. that, Sai. Powerful. Yeah. So, Sai, we're gonna let's let's shift the gears here a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about uh, you know this 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 messy relationship between faith and science. Yeah. And so, what you know, if someone were to come to you and ask you to prove uh, to give evidence for God, what would you say? Well, that's I like the way you asked the question, Chris, because one thing we have to understand that science doesn't deal with proof. Proof is only in the realm of mathematics and logic. And you will never find, I, I once challenged an atheist to find any scientific paper, any paper in any field that's not math, where the word proof is used. Never heard back from them. <laughs> because we don't deal with proof. Why don't we deal with proof? Because almost everything we, we think we know from science can be overturned by new science. And that's happened so many times already that scientists know that they're never finished. Excuse me one second. Uh, they know that they're never finished. And so proof is not something we deal with, but we do deal with evidence. Hmm. And here I want to say something that I think is very important about evidence. I had an entire debate not long ago with Aaron Ra. I don't know if you've heard, he's an atheist very well-known atheist YouTuber about the nature of evidence. Because like several other atheists, he likes to say there's no evidence whatever for God, none. Uh, that's simply not true. There's plenty of evidence for God. It's not proof. But what we, in science, what we do is we get, we have competing theories all the time. Uh, and then one theory gains a lot of evidence and the other theory doesn't. So we end up with, you know, the burden of evidence, the, the most evidence, the strongest evidence. That's the theory we stick with until yeah. something else comes along and then we do that. So what is what kind of evidence is there for, for God? Well, the, the existence of the universe is evidence. Why is there a universe? How did it start? We know it started. We know it's, it's not been here forever. Uh, how, what, what caused it? What's the cause of the universe? Well, we don't know. Now, just because we don't know something doesn't mean that God did it. Okay, that's called the God of the gaps. However, I'm not saying that if we don't know it, that's proving God. What I'm saying is if we don't know it and we've been trying to look and we can't find the answer, that's evidence that there may be a God. Hmm. It, it shows that believing in God is reasonable. Exactly. It's exactly. a reasonable supposition. Exactly. And in fact, people say, well, you have the burden of proof to show that there's a God. And the answer actually, no, that's not true. The bur What we really have, you, you have the burden of disproof. 
because it's possible to disprove things. It's a lot easier to disprove things. You can show that something is not true. It's very hard to show that it's true. So if you think God is not true, you have the burden to show that. And there is no way you can, because there is, there's just, it's just, there's just no possibility to do that. But the evidence for God goes way beyond that. It's not just the creation of the universe. It's the way the universe is. We have what we call the fine tuning of the cosmological constants. And that is, what that means is that there are physical constants that govern how everything in the universe works, all these forces, all these laws. And those constants are tuned perfectly. If they were any different by a tiny, tiny amount, wouldn't have the universe we have. Mm-hmm. So how did that happen? Well, there's only two yeah. answers. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to ask, I, I want to hear those two answers. I don't want to interrupt, but I, I'd love to hear what you thought of these things when you were an atheist too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, give me- I didn't think of them. I just, I just assumed that God is impossible and bad and, and ridiculous and nonsense and don't bother me. And, uh, you know, and I also didn't know a lot of this evidence. I didn't know about the fine tuning. I'm not sure it was well known then. Uh, and at that time, I'm pretty old. So at that time, it was still a steady state universe. It was still what a lot of people thought was real. But back to these constants, the only way you could have such great fine tuning is, is if somebody designed them to be that way. Or if there's more than one universe, like several hundred billion or trillion, and that they're all different. And ours is the only one where we could be in. And that's called the multiverse theory. Well, there's no evidence for the multiverse theory. <laughs> Okay, so you can you can take your pick. You can choose God or multiverse. You can actually choose both because what many people have said is that where did the multiverse come from? (laughs) Okay, Mm -hmm. if there's a billion universes, how did they get created? So uh, the point is that we we have evidence from physics so far. I've been talking about. But what really got me was the evidence from biology, because that's my field, biochemistry, and especially the origin of life. The origin of life began very quickly on the Earth. It didn't take much time at all. And without going into details, because it's too much, the chemistry and the biochemistry that I know and many other people know, uh, you might have heard of James Tour uh, down in Houston. He's a chemist. It's just hard to believe without more information that we have now that life could have simply spontaneously arisen by chance. Mm -hmm. And as I said, it can't be evolution because evolution requires life for it to even start. Mm -hmm. So how did that happen? Why, Why is there life? And then the third one is human consciousness, which now I call the human soul. I mean, I hold to evolution for animals, but I stop when it gets to humans because you can't explain Beethoven by evolution. You can't explain the work you do as a pastor, Chris, from evolution. The, the, the words you come up with, the, the, the ideas, you can't explain theology as a result of evolution. People try, but it's all nonsense. So, where does that come from? Where is the soul from? Why are we creative? Why do we make music and write and, and fall in love? You know, 
this is not this is not something that comes from our animal evolutionary background. This is new, and this is from God. This is the image of God. Mm-hmm. I, I was curious, and then Chris, I know you have some other awesome questions. I just so you, there's so much gold there, uh, side. Thanks so much. On the origin of life, what would you say to someone who says, "Well, what if we humans?" figure out how the origins of life came to be would that would that work against the idea of god existing no and i'll tell you why not i actually think that we will figure it out but we won't figure it out with the knowledge we now have we need some new laws i believe very strongly we need some new ways of thinking about biology, the same way Einstein needed new ways of thinking to come up with relativity and Planck needed and Schrodinger needed new ways of thinking to come up with quantum mechanics. And what did those things point to? When you literally look at relativity and quantum theory, they point to a higher power in my view. And I think that we need to find new ways of understanding biology and the origin of life, which when we find them, they will be science but they will point to a creator because, well, you know, the, the, the border between science, supernatural and natural keeps changing, right? In the 19th century, natural was pure materialism. That was destroyed by, by the revolutions in physics in the 20s and the goalposts move. So now things that we used to consider totally ridiculous supernatural nonsense are now part of hard science in physics. That's going to happen with biology too. And I, so therefore I'm not saying that we're going to have to give up and never find a quote natural answer to the origin of life. But if we do, and if, and when we do find that answer, it's going to point to God. You know, it's, it's interesting, Cy. Uh, what, what would you say to this? I, I've sometimes said this following thing to people. I'm not sure if it's, if it's, legitimate but my reasoning has sometimes been like even if human beings did figure out how to create life to me that's almost more proof of intelligent design because it took intelligent design to figure it out is that a legitimate argument absolutely legitimate and other people have made that argument um again i mentioned jim tour is is one of the people who uh, has said uh and he is a christian by the way uh he has said that when you even this they know no one has made life of course but even to make rna which is just one of the molecules of life you need a laboratory and you need technicians and you need chemists so that's doing exactly what you said that is intelligent design (laughs) it is intelligent design yeah precisely now chris you had a question that i'd love for you to to get into about evolution yes because i know a lot of our people listening have been taught that Evolution means you're an atheist. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so the question is, um, did, does evolution point you toward an intelligent designer or does it move you away from an intelligent designer? That's a good question. And the answer is it could do either one, depending on your, on your viewpoint. Hmm. <laughs> um, the atheistic evolutionists, people like Richard Dawkins and so many others, Uh, say that evolution does not require anything else than natural selection, 
you know, naturalistic uh, mechanism, which is easily understood and explainable, and it explains everything. Mm -hmm. um, however, then you have to ask the question, well, you know, evolution is, is an interesting way to create a huge diversity of life forms. Uh, is it possible that that is a designer's tool to create? To create the best life forms that could exist on a particular place? Mm -hmm. Why is that impossible? That could be one answer. Uh, I don't really know the answer. I mean, I, I think the evidence for evolution is strong, but none of it points to atheism. Hmm. None of it rules out God. Okay. So, so, so the interesting, the interesting thing I think for some of our listeners would be, you. So you converted. You were an atheist scientist. Mm -hmm. Converted to Christianity, right? But it doesn't sound like you lost your view on evolution. You kept your view of evolution even as you converted to Christianity. Yes, yeah. that is correct. I, I I remained and remain a person who believes that science is wonderful and is a good path to truth about the natural world. Uh, that includes evolution, that includes an old earth, uh, you know, all the, all the, the, uh, the you know, the, the, um, the arguments that are made for scientific uh, ways to look at the universe. I, I keep that because I don't think it conflicts at all with, with the idea of God. I don't even think it conflicts with the Bible. I don't, are you familiar with Hugh Ross? the uh, uh, reasons to believe he's written books about how old earth is totally, uh, totally consonant with biblical, literal biblical interpretations. It's beyond, it's over my head. I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't uh, extract, I can't talk about it, but, um, and there, there are so many people who hold to some, version of evolution, even uh, even some of the ID people will agree that there's some truth to, to a good part of evolution. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a spectrum. You know, there are people who go all the way from, no, there can't be any evolution at all. But by the way, uh, what a lot of folks don't realize is answers in Genesis, would you call that a, uh, uh, a young earth creationist organization? You would, right? Yes. Well, they hold to evolution. Now, what? <laughs> if, yes, they do. I even have a slide of this. They have shown uh, because if you go to the if you go to the art museum, you'll see an exhibit where they say that not all current animals were on the ark. It was the created kinds that were on the ark. So there was a, a cat kind, a bear kind, a dog kind, and when the cat kind came off the ark they spread and they evolved into lions, tigers, jaguars, pussy cats, all the different species of cats that we see today. And how did they evolve? By evolve by natural selection. <laughs> so even young earth creationists who follow a strictly literal interpretation of Genesis will tell you that at some point, in Earth's history, after the flood, there was evolution. 
And so what you're kind of saying, just to kind of summarize this, that's very interesting, by the way, I just appreciate this so much, Mm -hmm. is that, you know, being a Christian can encompass all sorts of different views. Absolutely. From young earth to old earth to partial evolution to full evolution. The thing we hold in common is we believe God created it or it was a tool of his creation. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I have friends uh, who I tre- who I cherish, Christian friends, who are scientists, who are young Earth creationists, uh, and we agree on some things. We agree about the origin of life, and we've made videos, and we've had discussions, and you know, and when we talk about evolution, we disagree. So, so what? I mean, when in when in Christian history has everyone agreed? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a bit of an embarrassing question, maybe even. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, it started in the Book of Acts, right? <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, I, I think, yeah, what you said, Chris, is right. But the real thing that we have, that we agree on, and that we hold to be the fundamental point of everything is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Mm -hmm. Amen. 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 And he walks with us and he talks with us and he's with us. And to me, the rest is details. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He saved us from our sins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, if, if I find out tomorrow that evolution is totally wrong, I will say, oh, well, okay, I was wrong. Yeah. I, I won't care. Yeah. Man, I, I don't have a stake in it. I love that. I, I love that Jesus humility. Christ, that's where I have a stake. Yeah. Yeah. The By the way, one, one more, and I know, Chris, you have some stuff too. I just, on that uh, same thought there, what would you say to Christians who are, because some Christians are just, they're worried. They're afraid of evolution. Yeah. yeah. They're concerned that it's, you know, there's sort of a large conspiracy of scientists who are like, like, what would you say to that? Cause you're not the only Christian who's a scientist who just accepts evolution to be true and loves God. Oh yeah. So what, what would you say to those Christians who are afraid of some kind of large scientific conspiracy? I would say what Paul said, don't be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, Be anxious for nothing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, uh, there's no danger in evolution. It's not going to hurt you. I mean, now, some people misinterpret what evolution is, and they interpret it, and they don't understand what it really is, and then they, you know, then they get upset, because what, what they may think it is, is not something very good. But the actual biological scientific theory of evolution is harmless. Mm-hmm. And it, it says nothing about your faith in God or Jesus. It, it, it just talks about biology. <laughs> it's about how, you know, uh, simple things happen in biology. Mm-hmm. And it could be the hand of God is there. It could be that God set it up and let it go. It could be that he, cut, he intervenes every time and makes mutations. We don't know. And I don't care. And so maybe maybe along with the Chris's question, which is an excellent question, I'm thinking of the the student uh, coming out of high school being mm-hmm. taught that uh, evolution and uh, faith are incompatible. They, yeah, that's they, a terrible thing. 
I'll be honest with you, Chris. I, I find I, I feel that my mission and the reason I wrote the first book and, and even the second one is to counter that. When I hear that a high school biology teacher or even a professor in a college is telling Christian kids that they have to give up their faith if they want to be, mm-hmm. if they want to follow science, it, it, it makes me angry. <laughs> it's simply, it's, it's false. It's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie. It's a satanic lie. It's, it's coming from the evil one. It's not true. Yeah. And look, Isaac Newton, uh, Robert Boyle, Louis Pasteur, Copernicus, Galileo, all the original scientists up until the, the beginning of the 20th century were Christians, Maxwell, uh, Faraday. Uh, they were all Christians. And they weren't just, you know, go to church on Christmas Christians. They were devout. They wrote about theology. They wrote about God and Jesus. They were devout Christians. They became scientists because Christianity mm-hmm. was important to them. And they became, they wanted to understand the, the lawful order of God's universe. And that's why, that's how science developed. Mm-hmm. So to and, say that and, science and Christianity are in conflict is an absolute lie. And, and by the way, another interesting historical fact, uh, and I um, is that Alfred Wallace—I think I'm getting his name right—he's sort of the co-discoverer yeah. of evolution in the sense that you he did. discovered it kind of at the same time as Darwin. Yes, he never became a I Christian, but he actually became a believer in that there must be a God because of what he yes. saw. That's in evolution right. biology. That's absolutely right. And Darwin was a Christian up and up until near the end of his life. What happened was his daughter died, and he was heartbroken by that, and he lost his faith. But it wasn't evolution that turned him into, into no. a doubter. No. It's a, a personal tragedy. Yeah, I remember when I first heard that, it was just it just blew my mind. Um and so my, my last question before you bring this uh, conversation to a close is related to your comment earlier about materialism. Um, what can you say about the, the division between the natural and supernatural? And, and by the way, just to clarify, just sure. before you answer that, I just want to clarify again for people, for people listening in this area, when they hear the word materialism, That's right. they think of spending money, too much money. Oh, okay. And I just want to, I just want to emphasize that when we use that in this podcast, materialism means a, a, a worldview where the only stuff that exists is what you can kind of see and touch. That's right. That's right. And That's right. Yeah. right. Exactly. There's no soul. There's no spirit. There's no spiritual reality. Yes. That's materialism. Thanks for pointing that out, Chris. Um, so I don't think, I don't think that natural supernatural is a useful division because as I said, the border keeps changing. If you went back to 18, 1880 and you told the scientists of that time, if you gave them a modern textbook in physics or a modern textbook in biology, they would look at that and say, this is all supernatural nonsense. What are you talking about? It doesn't become real until you see it. What is that? Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you talking about? These these molecular machines that do all this crazy work in a cell? That's impossible. You know, cells are just blobs of protoplasm. 
And they would say this is supernatural stuff. And now we call it natural. And that keeps happening. It's happening constantly. As science moves forward, that border keeps changing. And we start defining things that used to be considered supernatural as perfectly natural. So I don't think there is a border. I think there is one universe. I think that somewhere there is heaven. There's the kingdom of God. I don't know where or what it is, but it exists. And what is natural and what is supernatural? I mean, how do we know? You know, I mean, we can define it any way we want. We can say, well, everything we can see, touch, feel here is natural and everything else is supernatural. Some people do that. Mm-hmm. Some people will say even your mind is supernatural. The only it's not real. Right? So this is all philosophy. And it depends on your point of view. So I guess that's all I really want to say about that. It's, it's not worth worrying about. Okay. Well, and I, and I think too, something that you just made me think of as you were talking there is that God always works, or maybe not always, I shouldn't say, but, but often he's working through the natural. Yes. Yeah. You know, like I think of the miracles in the Old Testament, you know, Absolutely. S- splitting the Red Sea. Well, I'm sure if you went back, you know, and could observe it, you'd probably see uh, a high pressure system, a low pressure system, a wind blows. Like Possible, y- yeah. it might have a natural explanation, but that doesn't mean God wasn't involved. Exactly. And I mean, we know there are miracles that are happening all the time. I mean, I uh, my favorite is the the miracle of the pastor who lost his voice and got it back. I think his name was Dwayne Miller. Uh, I would recommend Googling that and, and listening to the audio tape. It's undeniable because you hear him beginning his sermon with a terrible voice. And in the middle of the sermon, he's cured <laughs> by miracle. Uh, and, there are, and there are others. And so what are these? Are these natural? Are they supernatural? What, what are they? They're, they're, it's God's action. And I mean, you know, as I often say, what's not a miracle? Is a newborn oh, baby right. not a miracle? Is is mm. is love the kinds of selfless love acts that people do for each other? Is that not miraculous? Where does that come from? Is that part of evolution? No. No. Yeah. P- people sacrificing themselves for others. Where where does that come from? These are natural acts that come from God. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Sai, for uh, taking the time to uh, be yeah. with us to answer our question. You know, I just, I just so appreciate your your pastoral uh, tone and your heart of love for for people in this in this field who are interested in this topic. And so, thank you again for being on the podcast with us. Well, it's great to be here. I really appreciate it. Both Chris's. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, Frank. Thank you again for checking us out. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did and that you come back in two weeks for our next episode. Again, please help us out by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast as future episodes come out. If you have any questions, please let us know at outside the world at crossviewchurch.ca. Thank you, and we'll see you again.